This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is designed as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsors nor guests are rendering any professional or medical advice. The opinions and claims presented by the guests are their own. Any trademarks used are the property of their respective owners. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. We share interviews with healthcare executives, medical providers, and patient advocates. Pam Kusick, Senior Vice President of Rare Patient Voice. I think we need to hear how patients feel. We think a lot about, will this treatment works or will this treatment do this or that? But sometimes we need to hear the whole patient's experience and their whole journey. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Hello again, and welcome back to our podcast, where we're combining the business and science innovation with what we need to hear from the patients themselves. And we have a great guest today, Pam Cusick, Senior Vice President of Rare Patient Voice, an organization that connects patients with opportunities to let their voices be heard. Pam, can't thank you enough for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I want to know all about the organization and exactly how it works, but I think, you know, just to jump right in on that very topic, our audience might include companies, researchers, clinicians, also other advocacy groups. What do you think we need to hear from the patients the most? What do you think we're missing? Hmm. I think we need to hear how patients feel. We think a lot about, well, this treatment works or will this treatment do this or that or the other thing. But sometimes we need to hear sort of the whole patient's experience and their whole journey because you know, in the the short time that you're in speaking with your physician, you might not be able to tell them, yeah, this new medication I'm taking helps with whatever my symptoms were, but it really makes me have a bad cough. You might not get to those things. And some of those things, they would rather one symptom over the other if they could choose, but we're not really letting them sometimes. You're thinking that maybe we're focused on what they have and what the diagnosis is and in a clinical trial, maybe what the inclusion criteria is. But what about that emotional piece? What do you hear? When we hear from patients after they've participated in in one of our studies, a lot of times it's so nice that someone really cared about what hearing about my whole story and my day-to-day journey. A lot of, you know, patients they're living with this day in day out and their families are too. And as a patient, we don't always want to keep telling our families about whatever is going on. So when they participate in a, let's say an interview or a focus group, and they can really share, this is how this has impacted my life. And this is how I feel when I get up in the morning. And this is how it's impacted my relationships. It's a big deal. And those are things that we're maybe not focusing on as much. And it's so important to come up with treatments for symptoms and cures for diseases. Every patient wants that. But the other thing that they need is there's a lot more that comes with being a patient. It's, you know, how do you live every day? If your condition has caused a specific disability, can you work? Or is your employer willing to give you accommodations? What are your rights? There's a bigger picture to a patient. They're a person with, they've got to get to the store and pay for their bills and, and all of that, do their laundry, whatever it is. And those are things that maybe we could do something about, maybe we could help them with, but we're not really hearing that part. We're focused more on the the treatment and the cure and not the whole person. Mm, And their real life experience. Yes. Well, Pam, tell us about Rare Patient Voice, the organization and what you do. Sure. So as you mentioned, we connect patients and caregivers with all types of research opportunities 
That could be focus groups, interviews, surveys, clinical trials, online communities, all to improve products or services that are being developed for them. The way that we meet patients and invite them to join our community has been to go to events. So we would go to, prior to COVID, we would go to you know, the National Hemophilia Foundation Conference or the National Sickle Cell Conference, we would meet patients and caregivers and invite them to join our community. And then when we have a specific study request, we'll connect them with that request and they can participate or not participate if they're, you know, if it doesn't fit with their agenda or their schedule. But if they choose to participate, we pay them at a rate of $100 an hour. So that is great and, you know, wonderful. And they should be compensated for their time because they are the experts in what they're talking about and what they're living with, but most of them would do it for just, you know, just to be able to help other people who come after with them and people who may be, you know, on that same diagnostic journey, they may be able to shorten that for somebody else by saying, Hey, look, you know, this is the, you know, this is what I did. And this is what I was diagnosed with along my path. And now, you know, that may shorten someone else's or make someone else's experience better. We also, and thank goodness for this, we have a wonderful patient advocacy team that has connected with over 2,800 referral partners around the world to help us to connect with, say, smaller support and advocacy groups and get the word out to more patients who might want to share. And the good thing about that. And we're, they're still in full force today, but during COVID, it was a really helpful thing because we couldn't go out to any event. So um, we were able to continue to spread the word and bring opportunities to patients and caregivers. So right now we have over 100,000 patients and caregivers who have joined our community in over 750 conditions. And we're in the US, Canada, the UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Australia, and New Zealand now. So we're trying to expand and give as many patients the opportunity to share their experiences and share their voices. Mm. On the client side of things, we're expanding and kind of getting the word out to, we started more so in market research with companies that were uh, had a drug coming to market. So they would want to see, you know, what kind of language should we, how do we talk to the patients? What should we say? How can we engage them? And now we've now expanded to include clinical trials to real world evidence studies and wherever the patient kind of their, their expertise and their voice is needed, we can, or their physical presence is needed. We're happy to do that. We even have some clients who have come to us who want patients to do like video vignettes to hear how do they talk about their conditions so that they can bring that back to their sales teams. Because a lot of times the sales team might really not, they know clinically, they understand the patient, but they've never met a patient with say a rare condition, but this gives them the opportunity. So, you know, we really expanded the way we can bring the patient voice to different sectors of the, of the healthcare kind of community. Yes, they really hear it in their words. Well, Pam, I'm curious, you know, those of us in the industry, we're so familiar with focus groups and patient advisory boards. And, you know, it'd be great to reach out to some patients, we might say. I'm curious the other way around. Do the patients really recognize when you go to some of these events, you know, and certainly in 750 conditions and beyond, do they recognize how valuable their story and their voice might be? Are they surprised that they would have a chance to tell the companies, you know, what they go through? A lot of times they are surprised. It's, you know, we are oftentimes explaining 
what kind of research they might participate in and why their voice is valuable. I've heard patients say, you know, why would anyone want to talk to me about this? Which is from my standpoint kind of blows my mind because they're living 24 hours a day with a condition that no physician experiences and industry does a good job of trying to understand the symptomology and all of the those pieces, but the life experience is what informs so much of what can be done for patients. And they don't always realize their value. Some do. And I think we're giving, you know, we're helping patients, you know, as many as we can to understand that, look, there is an opportunity for you to share your experience, which can make a difference for other people, for you, your family, other people in your community at large. And then they feel a real power in that. There was a, a one patient that we had worked with a couple of years ago. I did a, an, an interview for a magazine. And so they took my side and then wanted to talk to a patient. But I, when I read her story, it was really amazing because she was saying, I really didn't know that I had a value in this. And now I've kind of, I've found my voice and she's an advocate and really kind of grown from the experience of being able to share, you know, through focus groups and interviews and so on. So I think it helps in a lot of different ways. And then, you know, it's the people like to share information. So, you know, you may be in a small, you know, a small support group, and then you tell a couple of people like, oh, I got to share my experience with my disease. And people think, wow, that, how can I do that? it makes a difference for them in the long run. So to answer your question, it, it, they are often surprised that anyone wants to talk to them. And a lot of times post-COVID people understand a little bit more about clinical trials, but a lot of people don't really even understand research. That's right. That well. What is a, what is a focus group? What's a, a patient advisory board? And, and why would I be part of that? I'm not an expert. And the truth is they are the expert. They just need to recognize that. Well, and you mentioned this idea of, you know, being heard that first and foremost, I just want somebody to listen, mm -hmm. you know, and this goes back to the classic story of not having enough time in the doctor's office to ask all my questions or what have you. But there is this exchange, isn't there? We're listening to patients. They're listening to us. What have you seen as far as the actionability, you know, that we're actually not just going to learn and say, wow, that was a very powerful story but actually that we're going to maybe change something or develop a new program or change our mindset towards a particular condition. What have you seen in that area? There are probably lots of different stories, but I know a gentleman who works with us, he is in the MS community and he, he is absolutely sure that his input in a focus group is what changed the design of, I believe the product is called the hurricane, but it was, you know, they're looking at different designs for this item and, and how it would work best for patients with MS. And he is convinced that he was the one who had them add, I think it was a third prong to the hurricane. But, you know, that's an example of, you know, where he gave input and the change was made, which is always nice to hear. A lot of times we aren't necessarily privy to the changes that are made. We are the connector. We're like the match.com. And connect the patients with the researcher who takes that back and then makes their changes and, and updates to their programs or their product you know, designs and so on. Sometimes we do some internal studies as well, just to keep patients engaged, because as you can imagine, not every one of those hundred thousand patients and caregivers 
there's not always research going on in there within their indication. So we like to try to, to do this a couple, maybe, you know, once or twice a year to give them an opportunity to participate in something and we'll share the research back with them. But there've been some very interesting outcomes from some of that. The one that pops into my mind right now is we did a couple of years ago, and these are all on our website, a little study about um, patient advocacy groups and how patients feel about advocacy groups and how they work with pharma and so on. And one of the things that I found most striking is that a lot of patients didn't know that there were advocacy groups. They weren't connected to advocacy groups in their disease area. And so when you're when you're involved in going to different patient events, you think everyone must know about this this advocacy group, but they don't. And where the advocacy groups could be really helpful in giving them information about their condition or so on and so forth, they really don't know that they're out there. And that really surprised me. And so, you know, I think from that, making, you know, some changes to how advocacy groups connect with patients is another, you know, another good area. Yeah, that is sort of that internal thinking, isn't there? Everybody must know about the, and there's an acronym for every group. So we all say these (laughs) alphabets, but I do recall what you're saying, having a patient advocacy group in a rare disease. And the patient said, I've never even been in a meeting, you know, with more than one other person who has my disease. So just being in this room, was an experience for them. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And it was that for whatever reason surprised me because, you know, I thought that that would be exactly what a patient did. They would go, you know, as soon as they found out they had X condition, they would go to the internet and find the advocacy group, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, let's speak to another, uh, I'll say, department in the companies, you know, focus groups and advocacy groups, maybe the marketing, uh, the commercial teams know these things very well. But I think about the clinical research folks and in the medical affairs side of things. What are the applications of groups like this that are not really, quote, marketing research, but certainly it's a chance to listen and learn from the patient's experience? More and more, we have clinical research organizations reaching out to us or for clinical trial recruitment. But the other piece of that that I find interesting is we have more and more who are looking at kind of pre preclinical trial, trying to develop patient outcomes and what, you know, what would make sense and what, what do we really need versus what would be nice to have information? Do you really need 12 finger sticks from a six-year-old, or could you actually get the data you want, you know, the information you need from a smaller number? So they're doing that kind of proactively and getting patient input on that. The other thing that we see is some of our clients coming to us to have patients review consent forms and the documentation that they might need to read, understand, and sign to make sure that it is patient-friendly. There's a whole element of health literacy that is, you know, coming into play that we want to make sure that they're always supposed to be informed consent is that you're supposed to understand what you're signing. But we all know that there's a lot of legal jargon in those documents and not always clear. So we have clients coming to us to do that kind of the preclinical And then another thing that I've seen is clients who come to us post-clinical research where they want to develop a patient-friendly summary of the clinical outcomes and they have patients review and comment and make sure, you know, that is this usable information? And if not, how can we change it to make it usable so that they can take it to their doctors and say, here is the outcome from this trial. Is this something that I can use? Is this something that I can do? That's really fascinating to me to have them involved on kind of 
all parts of the clinical journey beforehand, understanding what are the outcome measures that make sense? What would you want to see if this drug was going to make an impact? What would matter to you? Not just what I as a physician think, but, you know, or, or as a clinician think, but what would be a, a meaningful outcome? And then enabling them to kind of use that information afterwards is really important. Yeah, these sound like valuable tools, good applications of the methods. For sure. You know, certainly, uh, and the sponsor of our uh, podcast, 83 Bar, is involved in this patient recruitment for clinical trials. And and I also see the zebra logo on your uh, background there. You know, we call them needles in a haystack, uh, you know, zebras. These mm -hmm. really difficult to find patients in these rare diseases. I guess looking at all the ways we can reach attract, engage, educate, make sure we connect with these patients. Are they open to these messages? Are they ready? Are they receptive in your experience? I think so. The patients that we meet and engage with, they want to share their experiences. They want to, you know, be able to make a difference. It's hearing back from them, the thanks, thanking us for the opportunity for them to be able to share this, you know, share their experience makes a huge difference. And I see, you know, more and more parents who are, 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 you know, of children who have, you know, a rare diagnosis, not willing to just sit by and wait for something good to happen. They jump in full force and, and try to make a difference. And that's a huge deal. I think that, you know, the more we can get out there and the more we do share that companies want to hear from you and they want, they want to understand not only, you know, the, your physical experience, but what's happening to you day to day. People tell each other, they tell, you know, their neighbors or people in their online community. And then suddenly more and more people want to be able to share their experience. So I think getting the, the word out, you know, through these different groups and help them to understand how valuable their input is, is really a great thing. Well, my guest is Pam Cusick of Rare Patient Voice. Pam, it's been a great conversation. As we think towards the future now, you, certainly your background and market research and now in developing this kind of connection platform and Rare Patient Voice, I wanted to dial back into this emotional side of things. You know, we can learn a lot about conditions and, as you say, read the clinical profiles and see what the disease is all about. And we can also think about the treatments. And we always say, well, here's what patients ought to do. <laughs> but if we turned it inside out, what mm -hmm. do we need to hear about how the patients feel? I think we need to listen to what they say they need. Kind of going back to one of the first things they said, you know, it's, yes, I need to feel better. I need a, a treatment for this pain. But if it's causing some other problem for me, you need to hear that because maybe the pain isn't as bad as that other problem that this is causing. You know, maybe really listening to what are the life impacts of this condition because it's much greater than, yes, I have tremendous pain and I can't get up, but what other resources might they need? to help them to kind of live a full life. Just because you have a rare disease or any condition doesn't mean you don't want to have a job or you don't want to have relationships. And, and those are pieces that no one, people aren't really getting help with those pieces of things. And I think that's the dealing with the whole patient and hearing what do they need beyond a treatment for this particular problem that their condition is causing, but what other resources and help might they need? Because there's a lot, we are all very complex beings and 
it's not just that I'm, you know, Pam and I have this condition. It's that I have a life and I have kids and I have a dog and a job and I might need help with some or all of those things. And where can I get that? Mm-hmm. Some of that would be what we need to hear. Yeah. It's almost this biggest, bigger definition of pain. We may mm-hmm. not be just talking about the physical pain, but the the burden, the pain of the condition on right. my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very strong. Can't yeah. thank you enough for the conversation. Really enjoyed getting to know you and the group. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. And listeners, all the links to Pam and her organization are in the show notes if you'd like to connect. I'm Mark Stenson. Come back again for our next episode to really understand what we need to hear from the patients and what leaders hear when they listen to the patients speak. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak. Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83Bar.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.